on this episode of AV Week. Twitter may be going away for good, at least as the AV community knows it. Where do we head from here? What's the difference between ASIC and FPGA chips, and what does that mean for the supply chain? And Polly has a brand new Android device. What are we using in UC spaces? All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 585, recorded Friday, November 4th, 2022. Make more chips. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. And by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. This is AV Week. Your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, we have got a uh, a star-studded cavalcade for you. First and foremost, Bren Walker from Kierkegaard. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again, Tim. Good to see you, ma'am. Also with us, uh, a young man who needs no... Well, he's not young. He's my age. So Justin Kennington from SDBOE. Welcome, sir. I have been young. Um, is this going out on video? Because my head's a lot smaller than everyone else. Like, I, I should have sat closer to my camera. You should have. And you have less hair than me, as well, always. You've been, growing, you've been growing yours out for the last couple of years. I keep getting haircuts. That's well, all. I can grow my hair off the top of my head, and you can grow a beard. That's, that's, the, that's the compromise we have. <laughs> there you go. All right. Last but not least, a young man I met uh, at uh, the Crestron Modern Work Summit. He works for Crestron, Mr. John Grubin. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. Appreciate still being called young after turning 40. I like that. You're, you are still, I mean, it's all relative, bub. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I've got a couple years before 50, so <laughs> it's all there. So, um, all right. So uh, a couple things have, have, uh, we're going to hit this week. Um, and I swear to you, there, there is a Twitter story and it is relevant to the industry and we're going to, we're going to end with it. So, uh, but first, uh, Mr. Kennington put uh, pen to paper, uh, as the, us old folks uh, still say, and wrote for our friends over at SCN about the AV supply chain and comparing and contrasting FPGA and ASIC chips. And no, I am not going to announce what FPGA nor ASIC stands for. Kennington can do that if you'd like. But very briefly, FPGA, and Justin, I'm going to start with you so you can correct me all the places I'm wrong here. FPGA is kind of a generic, you can make it the chip do what you want, and ASIC is purpose-built, but it's also more expensive to start it out, but at the long run, it might be cheaper. You didn't say anything wrong there, right? Okay. An FPGA is a, is a highly programmable device, uh, meaning I could take this FPGA right here that's in my pretending to be in my hand, and I could program it to be an AV over IP encoder, or I could program it to be a, a, a controller for a coffee pot, or I could program it to be a, a controller for the media system in my Ford Focus, right? It's whatever you want it to be, it can be yours. Um, that sounds great. It's just that they're, they're relatively expensive to buy per chip. Uh, and they're, and they're quite power hungry to do all that. And ASIC on the other hand, uh, can, can, can outperform the FPGA marginally in some tasks, but is built to do one specific task and that's it. That's all it's ever going to do. And it's real cheap to buy per chip, right? And so you say, well, why would anybody not do an ASIC? Well, because the first one costs you about $20 million to develop and deliver. That's why. Um, so, so it's a massive investment to get to an ASIC, but once you're there, 
you can stamp them out real cheap. Okay, so so pause for a second because I want to get into what you, you wrote about, and then uh, Brian, I'm going to get from from your perspective as somebody who's designing the systems, and obviously John, uh, you guys make them. And really quickly, I am going to uh, uh, define what they mean. Uh, FPGA is Field Programmable Gate Array. Uh, ASIC is Application Specific Integrated Circuit. Um, Justin, you've worked for Google. You actually used to work for, for Crestron as well. And now you work for you know the SWOE Alliance. You've seen chips and chipsets and hardware kind of ebb and flow in, in different areas. Is there a reason to use one or the other um, just as a technologist, not somebody who works for SDVOE or who used to work for Google. But, sure. It's, okay. it's simple. You use, you use an ASIC if you can afford it. If you have the business case to support it, you use an ASIC. Um, the only reason to use an FPGA is because you can't afford the ASIC investment. Okay. Um, or, or if you're, I guess if your use case were shifting so dramatically, so fast, that you were literally reprogramming what the device does. I don't mean firmware. You know, everybody, everybody loves a good firmware update. Right, an ASIC can take a firmware update just just like anybody, uh, but once you're into you know needing an FPGA for flexibility's sake, you're into really reprogramming things. Um, and what the article's really focused on there is the impact this has on supply chain. Right, that that flexibility becomes the FPGA's sort of Achilles heel for us for for Pro AV because it's so flexible because it can do so many things. FPGAs are in demand for every electronics manufacturing industry on the planet. Right. It's not just pro AV needs FPGAs. Right. So do the microwave oven people. And, and so does General Motors and so does Ford Motor Company. Right. We've heard about the, the, the automotive chip shortage. Right. So when so when supplies start running out on FPGAs and pro AV companies get in line behind General Motors, you start to see where we might have problems. Uh, and now we can't build those devices. We can't deliver those devices. And ASIC, on the other hand, in our, and this isn't about SDVOE in particular, but, you know, we built an ASIC that does AV over IP stuff. And that's all it does, right? So the only the only people interested in buying that chip are people building AV over IP devices. So they might fight it out with each other, but at least you know most of them are going to get chips and be able to supply their 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 products. So let me ask it really, and, and you can tell me to, to go fly a kite if it's not in my business. But it, it, you said twenty million dollars. Is there an ROI there for, for you guys? Because I mean, not, not for nothing, but is there a twenty plus million dollar demand? For yes, and that's and that's where because so that that ASIC is built by a company called Semtech. That's a founding member of the SDVOE Alliance, and that's critical to understand because as a as a, and and Semtech by the way is a fifty no sixty year old put that in your pipe and smoke it a sixty year old semiconductor manufacturing company um, these days fabulous but they design semiconductors for a living um, that means Semtech has built this chip to serve any player in the pro AV space or beyond that wants to have this functionality, right? So, so a chip manufacturer can build a business case because there are hundreds of manufacturers that are potential customers that can build the volume necessary to make that pay off. Um, whereas any individual company, any company that wants to build their own AV over IP solution instead of, uh, you know, an ecosystem like uh, AV over IP solution, they'll just, they'll never have the volume as one single company to be able to justify that investment. Bren, we'll start with you. We'll continue on with you as you're looking at supply chains and as the designs and 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 Bren, you know, is heavily involved in in theater in design and and you know making these systems come to life. Her lead times are are year, two years, five years sometimes. Um, 
when you look at, at things like, you know, the different types of chips and, and the different products coming down the pipeline, you know, how are you guys making decisions today about design when it comes to where folks are telling you they are in the supply chain, um, the supply chain, you know, issues and, and how quickly they can get out of them? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not an impossible situation, but it's probably one of the most challenging things I've ever faced in my career. You know, I just delivered a major project this past week, and the when we printed the functional drawings, we already knew we had to redesign because of product availability, hmm. right? And it hasn't even been bid yet. So my point of view about the about this is, you know, that that early sunk cost that they have, that's just a sunk cost, right? So it's it's like copyright and material. Your every other sale that you get is sold for, you know, uh, you the cost of selling it is less. So if they've made that initial investment, hurrah. Um, we design systems and not devices. So I am curious about how that might how the different how the difference will change for manufacturers themselves in terms of their design process. And does that mean is there a period of time that manufacturers are, will need to switch to this chip? That's the first so question. What was what was cool and lucky for us is that the the ASIC that Semtech built became available right at the beginning of 2020, mm. right? And of course, we know that was right the very beginning of COVID. And so what happened was as the industry sort of went dormant, right, and, and demand sort of collapsed for that short time, that was when this ASIC became available, you know, and, and Semtech is out there talking to the manufacturers saying, hey, you know, you guys can start building this now. And then and then several of those folks, in fact, I'm trying to think if there's an exception, at least virtually all of the SDVOE members I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Like, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, hey, you know that chip you're using? Because SDVOE has a, an FPGA implementation as well. And and six years ago, four years ago, three years ago, that's what there was. That's what everyone was building. Yeah. Now, now when, when Semtech's chip sales guy shows up at, at one of those manufacturers and says, hey, that's a great you know, solution you've got there. I can give you the same functionality to consume less power and it's cheaper. Do you, do you want to upgrade? Of course, there's engineering work for them to redesign a board to upgrade. Um, but like I said, the luck that happened for us is that a lot of that work went on when when demand was dormant. Um, and so now everybody in, in the SDVOE alliance is up and flying with with the ASIC today. And it's backward compatible to the FPGA versions because it's it's the same functionality, just on a on a chip that's that's better to use. Mm -hmm. I would say that the what I what I really like about it is that, you know, that getting in, in line behind General Motors and and ford and you know general electric um it that would make it even harder for competition right and mm -hmm. this to me feels like it will increase sorry john it will increase competition among manufacturers which we want to see more of um we want to yeah. see people delivering more devices newer devices and you know, when you're in that position where basically you've got one or two choices as a designer, it makes it harder sometimes to even meet the client's budget, let alone sometimes their functionality. So I think yeah. anything that increases manufacturer diversity in our field is a good thing because it also pushes us to do new things. 
and to innovate That's in terms right. of the devices. I think it, it even speaks to sort of maturity as an industry, mm -hmm. right? You know, Pro-AV has a, has a storied history that, that probably all of us, certainly myself, have enjoyed of kind of the, you know, hack it together and just make it go. We'll figure it out. You know, we'll, we'll make it perfect tomorrow ethos. Um, but I think, you know, as, as we move into this bigger world, as we deal with, you know, supply chain issues where the outside world is impacting us, as we're talking about ASICs and FPGAs, like I, I think the Pro-AV industry in the last five years has done a lot of growing up. And, and I think we're starting to see the, the reflection of that. Yeah. Well, John, I do want to bring you in on this. One of the things that, that Dan Feldstein said a, a, a good Lord, probably about a month or so ago at this town hall that you guys did was that Crestron is, is actively looking to work with competitors, quite frankly, right? Folks who, who, who sell products that, 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 that you guys are having uh, some supply chain issues now and, and they're inviting dealers to say, Hey, you know, Crestron rep, um, I'm doing this project. This is the stuff from Crestron I can get. This is the stuff that I'm using somebody else kind of help me put that together. Beyond that, you know, what else are, are manufacturers like Crestron and others doing to kind of help us through to get to the other side of this, of this supply chain issue? Certainly. Well, I mean, nothing is off the table on what we are doing. Um, I do want to highlight one of, one of Justin's comments. It is always better to be lucky than good, right? Lucky is lucky is a great spot to be, whether it's a dumb bet in a casino or anywhere else. Um, and that's certainly true. Right now, ASICs are, are generally significantly more available than our AV over IP solution. Um, but what we think is really core um, is innovation and that our products get better over time. And we feel that fundamentally the FPGA gives us that ability. Um, we are doing everything under the sun from a manufacturing perspective, bringing in additional manufacturing capacity, um, really leaving no leaf unturned on the various suppliers where we can get um, chips from and fundamentally redesigning our product to accommodate them. So I think um, you know, nothing's ever as bad as it seems at the time. I think we're going to look back 18 months from now um, and it's going to be a much different world, much like the world 18 months ago was a much different world. And so we're going to get through this. I think it's good for the industry. I think a robust pro-AV industry is fantastic and what we all need. Next story comes to us actually from our website, avnation.tv. Polly's award-winning Studio X video bar is, quote-unquote, the first Android-based video appliances for Google Meet. Um, one thing I, I, that kind of struck me by this, this story is, is and, and Brent, I'm going to start with you on this, as you're designing systems and you're looking at certain things, Android or iOS or Linux or other you know OSs that have gotten and, and been introduced into the in, into the AV side, um, you know, are, are we comfortable <laughs> with with all of these various ones? Are we uh, whether that's security, whether that's performance, um, are we good with with all these various? Uh, flavors of OS, or is there one that we should kind of maybe standardize on? I don't think we should standardize on anything. If, if we were, I would say Linux. Um, but okay. that's, I'm an open source girl. We'll talk more about that later. Um, for us, it largely comes down to what the client feels comfortable with and what their team can support and feels like they want to support. Um, what I, the first thought I had when I saw this was, oh, good, more data for Google, um, because that's kind of what it's going to mean. Um, but <laughs> there are people who, who live in that environment and, you know, to the extent that we're still living in these worlds where we're platform driven and you're making a platform commitment, if it helps a client run their operation better by making that platform commitment, we're happy to support them in doing that. 
John, same kind of question here is, is you know, uh, Crest on Air Media. I remember a number of years ago, it was it was generally Wi-Fi over point to point. And now you guys have the ability to, to come through Miracast, have the ability to come through uh, iOS devices. Does it matter what what platform we're, we're using uh, inside these UC spaces? I think it fundamentally starts with that end user and what's important to them. Um, so obviously, from a platform perspective, we know that Teams and Zoom and WebEx are kind of the big three. And then Google is is kind of the fourth one out there um, that you don't see typically in the enterprise, but there are some very large enterprises that that are on Google, Netflix, for example. And so I, I think we'll see more devices um, from many more manufacturers that will meet the demand for for meat. Um, for, sorry for the pun there. Um, and I think it's a good thing overall. When it comes to security, a lot of it is up to you know, the enterprise and, and what their standards are and level of acceptance when it comes to security. Um, a long time ago, Android was a dirty word and then Android became a very friendly word. Um, so it really depends on the enterprise and what their standards are. All right, uh, Mr. Kennington, you used to work for Google at one point in time. So um, it is, does it matter like wh which, which platform we use or, or Brennan and John both said it kind of comes down to the client and what they want to use? Well, of course, it's going to come down to what they they want ultimately. But I think we should we should clear up a way that I think the water is getting a little muddy here. I, I almost feel like Brendan John actually got asked two slightly different questions because there's there's the issue of what is the UCC platform you're using, right? The Zoom, the Teams, the Google Meet, the WebEx, right? And then and then what this article seems to be about is look here's here's a Google Meet device that's for the first time based on the Android OS, right? I could have built a Google Meet device on Linux or on sure. Windows or on Mac OS or, or whatever. So, so, so there's two issues here, right? And so I think one of them is more about the user facing, right? What experience do I want them to have? Me, I like Zoom, right? Don't, don't buy me an Android-based Google Meet thing. It's going to annoy me. I just like Zoom, right? Meanwhile, you know, your enterprise might have chosen Teams or whatever. That's, that's at the sort of user-facing IT AV group level, right? Then there's the back end where security comes into it and, and what devices do we want to allow on our network? And now what OS is this thing running to implement whatever experience that is, is the important question. Uh, and there, uh, like I think I think it was John that touched on, yeah, that's going to come down to what are the needs and requirements of, of your IT group, right? Maybe Android is a bad word at your enterprise, uh, but over at Netflix, that's what they want to run on everything. I, I have no idea. Um, but I, what I guess is interesting, um, although I don't know, I think maybe it's too much choice, but what I guess is interesting is that at least for Google Meet, and, and I, I would guess it's true for Zoom at least, probably not Teams, that you can choose an OS independently from the, the UCC application. Yeah, you could do that in, in Teams. I'm, well. I'm betting Teams only runs on Windows, <laughs> but that's just a guess. No, no. Oh, really? So there you go. So, yeah, I, I told you I don't know what I'm talking about. You yeah. still invite me on the show. I feel sorry for you. That's why. On the security front, really, is Android any less secure than iOS? I understand why people make their arguments, but at the end of the day, most security problems are human-driven sure. and not, you know, software-driven. So, and, and, and the ones that, aren't, that are software-driven are probably some sort of new zero-day exploit. And, and, and none of us here can predict which OS is that going to pop out of next, you know? Exactly. So, exactly. you know, you pays your money, you take your chances. Windows. Sorry. That's my own Mac uh, oh bias. So. Can we? <laughs> oh, Max and, and, and Max, frankly. 
and Matt's. Matt's treat Apple is Apple is Microsoft and Microsoft is Apple. Apple treats you like you're an idiot. Yeah, I, I get I, I understand that argument. My position is I actually really respect the Mac universe. I like it and I recommend it. I don't use it. But that's because there's there's also a buy if somebody's coming to me to ask what kind of computer should I buy. You know, that says something about them. I don't ask people what kind of computer I should buy. I know what kind of computer I should buy. If somebody's asking me, I think you should get a Mac, and they're going to be happy with it. All right. Courses for courses. <laughs> I'm, I'm going like to recuse myself now, man. As, 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 I, as I bring up my next story on my Mac. Fast company. This didn't take long. Twitter advertising uh, could take a hit as global ad giant IPG recommends their clients pause ads on Twitter. This comes in the... Same uh, week as major players on the platform are deciding that they do not want to be in the same neighborhood as Mr. Musk. I have no issues no, with Mr. Musk. Please. Um, however, IPG has said uh, to their clients they should probably pause for a moment. Um, you know, the, the man spent $44 billion with a B uh, for this, this platform. Um, AB Nation is a big believer in Twitter. Uh, quite frankly, 10, 11 years ago when we started uh, the podcast, this is how we got our, our word out uh, initially, right? Um, so I am not sitting here, you know, ringing the death knell. Do not misunderstand what I'm going to ask. Um, however, we do have to ask the question because there's a large uh, AV tweeps community. There's a large AV community on Twitter. My buddy Chris Netto, every single Monday, uh, every single Sunday morning, does AV in the AM, right? Uh, hashtag and, and, and invites um, AV professionals from around the world to comment and uh, put in their two cents and have a conversation. It's a great platform for that. However, it may very well be going away in, in any useful sense if all of the naysayers are true. So, John, I, I admit that we are all, um, let's just say we're all over 30. How about that? <laughs> so we're not exactly youngsters here, but I'm still going to ask the same question. I'm going to ask the question, what's next? Where should AV as a community go for social media to connect? Well, I think AV is gonna go where the rest of the world ends up, right? Twitter was an amazing place uh, to have a conversation, an amazing source of engagement, an amazing source of influence, and a terrible business. So <laughs> we are gonna see what Elon Musk does with that. Um, I was listening to the Prof G podcast, and he talks about how Elon Musk literally lit on fire $33 billion. The true valuation is so much lower. Um, now, is he going to politically light it on fire as well and completely ruin the product and what it stands for? Or is he going to pull what he did with Twitter, uh, excuse me, not Twitter, with Tesla, where they were really down to the last straw and he completely turned it around and fundamentally changed the world. SpaceX is changing the world. So if you bet on Elon Musk, you're probably safe at Twitter. Um, if he turns into Howard Hughes at the end of his life as a crazy old billionaire, um, then we'll probably end up, unfortunately, um, where many of the people you don't follow, but the influencer community ends up is going to build a market for the for the right platform. It's not going to be a hole in the wall that only Pro AV is using. All right, Kennington. I heard something. Oh, I heard something just this morning on some like Economist podcast or something about somebody who's working on, and I could never in a million years explain this any better. So don't ask. But they were working on some sort of blockchain based technology so that an influencer's they could an influencer could own their followers and if that influencer moves from one social network to another the followers just like come with them huh. i have no idea if that's true if that could really work there's a lot of things that seems like could work on the blockchain that i don't understand at all so this could be one of them 
But I thought that could be a super interesting decoupling to sort of like de-platform the platforms, right? Like who cares if it's Twitter or the next thing, if, if it's the influencers that can bring the followers with them. Uh, that was cool. I also, uh, just to get back to the top of this, I don't know if I've just become a cynical marketing guy at this point, but but come on, what, who is this? IPG? Like if I'm sitting in IPG's chair and I'm repping all these big ad buyers, that means I'm doing all their ad buying for them, right? And I'm taking a cut, right? What better way would there be to start negotiating new lower ad rates than to start threatening that we're going to pull all of our clients off of your platform at this moment, right? And then and then to leak that to Fast Company or whoever they whoever they went and told it to, right? Like, I don't really buy any of this. I think they're just trying to get a cheaper ad rates. That's you are awfully think. cynical. <laughs> well, so probably so is the guy that runs IPJ. If you want my guess, probably. I don't know who he or she is, but I bet that's a cynical person too. All right, Bren, we'll, we'll let you have the last word on this. Okay, so first of all, um, I don't bet on Elon Musk. Uh, I think that it was there's a height of arrogance, his purchase of this company, and media companies are not tech companies. And the heart of what drives Twitter is not, quote unquote, technology. It's community. And he's asocial. I don't see how he can understand. Now, if he wants to compete with Parler, that's probably where he's going to end up in terms of number of users, the way he's going. You know, there's there's rumor that he wants a 50-50 revenue split between people paying for verification and advertising. How many users are going to pay? Right? You know, you're going to lose half the, the community or more of people who are coming to, you know, AV and the AM if they, got, if they have to pay to verify. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one point. Um, the other thing is Twitter was already, Twitter was already over. I mean, it only matters to people our age. Yeah. You know, um, we were the generation that kind of uptook with it. If you take away all the bots, which he seems determined to do, how many users do you actually have left? I mean, I think that number is criminally small, which, and he was trying to get at the heart of it. And it almost seems like he's there to now try to get all the information about how his deal was bad, um, which is good. You know, he's probably having some really bad days over that. I think the, I think it is inevitable that followers will go with their influencer and that someone will create a tool that enables you to develop your following as a as any other kind of commercial tool and to mark to market to and to um, you know commercialize it the best way that you can. I think that's coming. As for the AV folks, I would say, you know, I would I would hope that someone would actually choose an open platform and try to set up an AV community on an open platform and let's see who comes, right? Yeah. See if people will come to that because the idea it's all, we're already splintered by generation in terms of where people are. So you're already missing people from AV and the AM who don't do Twitter anymore. Hell, I stopped doing Twitter. I set up a Twitter handle just to I, go to AV and the AM, you know? I've never had a Twitter account in my life. I should have caveated all my comments with that. Right. And you a lot of people one. don't, and they're not going to. So, and they're not necessarily going to go to the next thing either. Um, if I had my way, I would say to Avixa, you do this 
and create better community tools than what you have on your website and available to people now. Is that practical though? I, I don't just mean in VIXA in particular, but I had this picture in my head a few minutes ago that you're, that you're bringing back to me of this kind of annoying place we've gotten to with, with TV streaming services, right? Where everyone's realized, hey, I've got this box of content. Why am I giving it to Netflix? And now I, the consumer, have to go subscribe to Paramount and Netflix and Hulu and YouTube TV and this and that. And, you know, I'm, if I want all the content, i got to subscribe 12 different places. Like, it feels like what you're proposing starts to look like splintering social media into, i got to go to this platform for my AV news and I'll go to that platform for my political stuff and this one for my weather reports or whatever. Whatever people do on social media, I don't know. I think if it's as simple as opening a tab on your browser, you'll do it, especially if you don't have to pay for it. I mean, okay. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. I mean, I do that with web pages, don't I? Yeah. I don't get all of my news from one web page. Yeah. Okay. No. And, and just like, you know, I don't know how many on average you guys have, but I would say on average, I have seven to eight tabs open at any given day on, oh. on Chrome. <laughs> I'm going to try and do a count right now. It's, it's got to be 30 on this right. computer right now. And I've got another computer with different tabs. I closed mine for this. So that exactly. I would... So there wouldn't be too much hogging going on, you know? Um, re really quickly, I did ask uh, some younger folks um, on, on the CTI side. Our marketing team has a number of Gen Zers and, and uh, I'll say late millennials. Yeah. So early 20s, <laughs> mid, mid 20s. And the response I got was, I don't know, Reddit, uh, <laughs> maybe TikTok, right? Uh, we've got some. Tell folks. us more about ye olden times, Tim. Well, I, 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 that's what I, that's the response I got, right? And because and I think part of it is Bren's right. The vast majority, I mean, you look at the, first of all, you look at the usage of Twitter and it's been way down over years and the average age of a Twitter user. And it is, I mean, it's Gen Xers, guys. It, it really is. Uh, flat out, it's Gen Xers. So. Well, and it's also, it's also fueling the media, right? The, the tweet may have a very small audience, but it's content that is then broadcast out by the media. Well, tweets are news stories. for. Oh content. my God, there's nothing I hate more than a news article that is so-so said this on Twitter. Yes. Like what? Really? A collection of tweets about X, Y, and Z. I wonder why news is a dying business. Because <laughs> they're getting their, their primary sources are coming from Twitter. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's yeah. over. Uh, Social media is dead, y'all. The next thing is coming. It's just, it's over. That's the it. same way MySpace has been a zombie that continues on, you know, Twitter will do the same, but he's not going to get what, maybe he will. Maybe he will get his Murdoch-like organ to get him started. And can he get to be where <laughs> Murdoch is? I don't know. I'll say this. I wish I had lost $30 billion this week. I, I don't. I don't. I've got enough. I have enough gray hair. Thanks. All right. Bren Walker. Bren Walker from Kierkegaard. How do people connect with you, ma'am? Bren at Kierkegaard.com or on LinkedIn, Brenda J. Walker. She does have a Twitter. We're just not going to say what it is. I don't uh, check it. <laughs> Justin Kennington from SDVOE. Thank you, sir. Well, you're not going to find me on Twitter. You can find me a little bit on LinkedIn and you can find the SDVOE Alliance at SDVOE and our YouTube channel, uh, YouTube slash SDVOE Alliance. All right. Very good. John Grubin, thank you, sir. Uh, nice to see you. Nice to see you again. Uh, how do people connect with you or Crestron? Uh, so with me on LinkedIn, John Grubin, um, and everywhere with Crestron, um, all of the social medias, um, as well as our website, Crestron.com. All right. Very good. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters. Um, if you're a pro football, uh, U.S. pro football fan, you, um, you know what the Bears did this week, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but go by the website if you would, please, avnation.tv. That's avnation. They traded a lot of really good people. 
uh, avianation.tv, you'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, we do have um, our last trade show of the year, Digital, uh, Digital Signage, DSC, uh, from Vegas on the 17th, 18th of, D of November, rather. Uh, so check that out. We will have coverage from, from the show floor there. Uh, also a brand new uh, AV profession with our buddy Taylor Moore uh, and all sorts of other great programs. So all that and more at avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Oh,